welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, August 20th. This is the 32nd episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is one of the most respected hospitality professionals in our industry, and someone who I greatly admire, and I will introduce her in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to work with good people. Yes, this sounds simple, but it can be easier said than done. Pay close attention when you meet someone who may be a potential client or employer or employee. Take notice of any red flags and trust your instinct. If you don't feel completely right about the person and relationship, pass on it. Working with people who you don't feel good about is not worth the hassle. Trust me, there will be more opportunities. Keep positive and high standards and you'll attract the business you want. Simply put, do good and good will come. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very excited at my guest here. It is Rita Jamey. She is the owner of La Caravelle Champagne and former owner of superlative French restaurant La Caravelle, which the New York Times described as a French legend and a Paris and Manhattan experience to food enthusiasts and the A-list of American society. Rita is also currently the president and founder of Bouquet Ventures Hospitality Consulting and very active in the hospitality community and organizations, including the Days of Taste, Spoons Across America, Le Dames Gaufier, and she is on the restaurant committee of NYC and Company. So welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me, Sherry. Oh, I'm so excited for you to be here. Um, I'm excited too. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great to see you and get to t- chat with you. And I, you know, I read this about La Caravelle, and I get a little sad because I never dined there. Oh. I missed it. It was it was. I can't exactly say it was before my time, but it was before I got there. Let's put it that way. Um, so, let's start with how you how you got into the hospitality industry. And I know your husband Andre is a part of your story as well. So, absolutely, he actually is uh, the reason why I got into the hospitality industry because I, I studied business, and um, I married Andre. And then when we moved to the U.S., I. Uh, Joined him in, uh, you know, uh, working at La Caravelle uh, when he bought the first half in '84. Uh, so um, Andre actually himself is from a hotel background. His father founded the Bristol Hotel in Paris. He actually, Andre was born in a room at the hotel, so <laughs> he uh, really uh, is in the hospitality flow. So that's how um, it happened, and um, little by little, I just. Uh, got acclimated to the industry and just originally the business aspect of it and then you know learned the other aspects and and I just love it now it's my world it is it is your world yeah he was literally born into the industry that's so funny (laughs) (laughs) and so you 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 all moved to New York in we moved to New York in 1980 okay right Uh, they sold the hotel his family sold the hotel in 78 and after a couple of years of kind of being uh, like fish out of water, you know, we decided we love the U.S., we're just going to come here. We had no kids at the time, so it was easy, just pick up your suitcase and come. And um, 
Um, it was a little longer than we thought to establish because uh, we needed the green card papers and uh, Andre luckily found a, um, a great job at the Regency Hotel because of all the connections with the, mm -hmm. uh, in between family, hotel families. Right, small world. Exactly. So um, Andre worked at the Regency Hotel uh, who then sponsored him for the green card and then I, during that time I uh, first worked at the French Embassy uh, the cultural services here, which was really interesting. And then we uh, looked like we we're going to have the papers, so we got uh, started to, we bought an apartment and um, had babies. <laughs> <laughs> A couple babies. <laughs> A couple babies. And, um, and then in 84, Andre bought the first half of La Caravelle, which existed already. It was built in 1960. That was my question. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was on 57th, uh, right? 55th. On 55th, Between 5th okay. and 6th, yeah. 33 West 55th. Got it. So he took it over, and then you, did you, what was your role? Um, I actually didn't join at the very beginning because I was um, busy with the babies. Right. <laughs> and then uh, uh, in 88, André bought his partner, uh, uh, Roger Fessaguet at the time, and then that's when I joined um, and uh, originally, um, I was kind of management support with Andre, uh, everything about the back office, all the administration, operation, um, PR, uh, customer relationships, nice. dealing with chefs, <laughs> mm -hmm. it could be a full-time job sometimes. Um, and then uh, that's, how, that's how we were complementary with each other. So. And so... I mean, what was it like? I mean, what what did you enjoy most, and and, and what were the challenges? Would you say? Um, I would say what I enjoyed most was meeting amazing people, yeah. and also the hospitality aspect of it. Really, that's what really uh, uh, attracted me and made me very happy because um, I'm originally from the Middle East, where hospitality is very important. And mm -hmm. um, it's always the amazing uh, pleasure you derive from hosting someone in your own place. And that's how I, that's how I, I, I considered it, uh, as did Andre. So that part um, was really uh, amazing. Uh, also being in that restaurant community, which is one of the most generous communities in the world, and um, meeting amazing uh, guests and uh, colleagues. Uh, so that was really... Uh, uh, the biggest pleasure, I would say. Yeah, and challenge-wise? Challenge-wise, uh, a lot has to do with the uh, administration part, the paperwork, the finding uh, good people to work with, uh, which is even more of an issue now, I, I, I see from what my, my colleagues are saying. Uh, finding good talent, um, you know, sometimes labor issues, uh, landlord issues regulations, mm -hmm. health department, when you add all that up, sometimes it can be, can be a bit daunting. Yeah, it's, it is a tough industry. Yeah, it is. So what, when did La Caravelle close then? So we closed La Caravelle in May 2004. Uh, so and that, I assume, was a tough decision. It was. It was a tough decision, but, um, you know, it was time to close for many reasons. Um, the beauty is that I mean, one of the only um, silver linings is that we left on a very high note. We were nominated as the most outstanding restaurant, the James Beard 
uh, foundation just before we closed, which was uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's a huge honor. Exactly. We didn't uh, get the award, but being nominated, being among the five restaurants in the whole nation. Absolutely. uh, That was was a great way to, to depart, you know. Yeah, yeah, go out on a high note for sure. Exactly. So that was the good side. Uh, The tough side, I mean, there's a few of them. Uh, When you're with an an organization, a company, an institution, a restaurant, it becomes you. You become the restaurant. It's part of your identity. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, that dimension is gone. So you do have times where you say, okay, 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 who am I exactly? What am I? You kind of have to find... A new place mm-hmm. for yourself because you know you identify right. with what you do given how hard we worked and had the hours we spent in there so that that was a tricky uh, tricky time but it was it was exciting too because that means you get to do something else you get to you know uh, be in a different universe also right and that I mean, that's a good transition right into what you did next was exactly. La Caravelle Champagne. Yes. So so tell me how that came so about. Actually, the champagne was uh, uh, started while we still had La Caravelle. We had our first cuvee yeah. in 1997. Oh, that early? I, yeah. I, I knew it started before, but I didn't know when. Yeah, b- mm-hmm. because uh, uh, Andre's background from his father, he used to go with him to the... Uh, in Paris, it was called La Halle au Vin, where they, all the you know the restaurants and hotels used to buy the wine from directly from the the producers, and they had their own cuvee barrel for them, and so that's kind of the idea of the proprietary wines was always in the back of Andre's mind, mm-hmm. and both of us are totally uh, enamored with champagne, bubbles, 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 <laughs> and especially champagne. <laughs> Um, so it kind of sort of fell into, you know, into mm-hmm. place naturally, organically. And um, that, but we only had it for the restaurant, for our guests. And Morel Wine was selling it outside. That's, that's mm-hmm. it. It wasn't really sold anywhere else. Um, it was like the house champagne just for our guests. And, uh, and that was it. Then we, eventually we also introduced uh, uh, Listrac uh, Red Bordeaux also La Caravelle, and also a cognac, which was fantastic. So all of these were in the restaurant and just sold outside in one shop so that our guests could go and buy it. Now, when we closed the restaurant, we said, okay, we're going to stop everything. You know, we didn't really think uh, very far. And we said, okay, that's it. We're going to stop everything. And we were talking to a few of our guests and friends, and they said, why do you need to stop the champagne and the wine? Why? And we said, oh, you know what? <laughs> That's true. We don't need uh, brick and mortar for mm-hmm. walls of a restaurant. It's actually, it can go on its own. And then it became kind of a different premise because now it was an, a brand to the outside world, outside of the restaurant. So that was, um, that was a challenge for me because I don't like to do sales per se. Yeah, I don't It's either. not my, my thing. Um, my way of selling is, hey, this, I think this is good, and if you love it, great. Otherwise, no problem. So I've really, uh, I've been traumatized by a few pushy salespeople throughout <laughs> my life. <laughs> well, you're on the end of receiving it exactly. for a while. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And um, little by little, I had... Uh, um, it started with one um, 
one big placement was uh, Alain Ducasse was about to open Adour. And, uh, you know, we were friends and we you know how you help each other mm-hmm. in situations. And he said to me one day, anything you need, let me know. So I said, okay, I'm here <laughs> taking you up on your, on your offer. Um, here's the champagne, etc. So, so he thinks and he says, you know what? Go see my psalm, my sommelier. If he likes it, you're in. That's it. So that was, that's what happened. And it was so exciting that's because awesome. that gave me huge credibility. And, mm-hmm. you know, to say, oh, my champagne store in Alain Ducasse restaurant. It's a great, you know, kind of stamp of approval. And it helps you to, to uh, for the next ones. Uh, then it got a little slow because, because people were still thinking, wait, it's a brand of a restaurant. And... I have a restaurant, so isn't that a little weird? Some some restaurateurs and, and, and uh, wine directors were a little um, weirded out by that, saying, oh, how am I going to put on my wine list the uh, 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 wine yeah. that is the name of another restaurant? But yeah. then I explained, you know, the restaurant closed. Yeah, and that's so, what I was going to say, even though it closed. Yeah, psychologically. I mean, so mm-hmm. it took a little while, also because of what I was saying before. I'm not very comfortable doing sales. Um, and I only contacted the people I knew. I never, ever did cold calls. And you knew day. a lot of people because you were... I did, yes. Yeah, yeah. I did, luckily so. And uh, that's, how, that's how it started. That's how it started. Well, great. We're going to take a little break here. So sure. when we come back, this is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Seeing a need to help people sort through all the misinformation about healthy eating, Whole Foods Market added a seventh core value to promote the health of our stakeholders through healthy eating education. In our stores, we give you the tools you need for choosing the most nutritious foods and healthy recipes, as well as offering classes with nutritionists and cooking coaches to help inspire good health and well-being. Stop by your local store today and learn more about our Health Starts Here program and wellness clubs or online at wholefoodsmarket.com slash healthstartshere. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Rita Jamey of La Caravelle Champagne. So we're talking. We're talking about your champagne here. Where? So where are you? I mean, how many places now are carrying your champagne? Um, in New York, uh, mostly New York City, it's about it's in about sixty plus restaurants. Wow! And um, That's awesome. About you know half a dozen shops also. So it's retail too. So oh yes. yes, yes, yes. Actually, I did know that because I have bought it. <laughs> oh, <thank laughs> so you. people out there know. No, it was you know it's nice. I was to know that, um, and I like 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 yourself support. I like supporting my friends and and people in the industry. So um, it's it's good to know it's it's available beyond at it's at restaurants and it's also retail. So. Exactly. And are you? I'm curious now. Are you thinking you might? Um, with your wine and your, you said cognac, like get into that maybe? We actually uh, continued or resumed rather the uh, the Bordeaux, the Listrac, which we have the 2010 currently out. Oh, it is? 
it is. Only it's not as well known because I have a very, very small um, amount. So when it goes, it goes. That's it. So now I have, still have some of the 2010 and uh, waiting for the 2012 because this particular um, cuvee is not made if it's not of a certain standard. So like 2011, the winemaker was not happy with, with uh, you know, what was coming out. So he said, that's not our best year. We, we just skip it. So, um, yeah. Got it. Yeah. And how, how would you describe your champagne? I mean, what's it, what, what differentiates it as uh, a La Caravelle champagne? Okay, La Caravelle champagne. There are three different cuvées. Okay. One is uh, the Brut, which we named the Cuvée Nina, as uh, one of the three, the name of one of the three Caravelle ships that Christopher Columbus sailed on, the Pinta Nina Santa Maria. Uh-huh, yeah. So we thought, you know, instead of calling it Cuvée Tradition or Brut or blah, blah, so we said Cuvée Nina, and it's, it's a kind of a catchy name, and uh, it begs a question, what is Cuvée Nina? What is Nina? <laughs> so um, it is a blend of uh, 40% Chardonnay, 30 Pinot Noir, and 30 Pinot Meunier, the three uh, traditional grapes of Champagne. Um, it, as a style, it is, I would say, very um, approachable. It's also us being uh, former restaurant owners. The most important thing for us was that the wine uh, had to be very food friendly. Yeah, I was going to think. So paired that well. was mm-hmm. exactly pairs easily and is very versatile. And uh, luckily, there's been a movement. You know, now that people are saying champagne goes with almost everything. Everything. It's so versatile. Uh, in the old days, it was only white meat, uh, uh, just a fish, shellfish, that's it. And I believe it's because our elders didn't, were not exposed to all the global flavors that we are exposed to now. And they kind of, you know, sometimes you do an experiment and you discover something empirically. And that's what happens, for instance, champagne with uh, um, I don't know, fried chicken, or uh, actually Sarah Simmons is opening Birds and Bubbles, uh-huh. which is going to be very exciting. Um, or with pizza here, Roberta, uh, with champagne, is amazing, amazing combination. Just not what would have come to mind originally. Right. You know. So that was our first cuvee. Um, uh, the second one is the uh, Blanc de Blanc, which is 100% Chardonnay, the, all, the white grape, the only white grape in the mix. And that is, um, it has a little less body, but it's got, you know, the acidity is, is very good. We also didn't want it to be too too acidic, so we are looking for a certain balance. Um, and this also pairs with a lot of different flavors and, and types of food. Um, it has notes of, uh, you know, yuzu, green apple. Um, it's a very beautiful champagne. And uh, the third one is the rosé, which I like to call the double magic. Not uh-huh. just the bubbles, but the, the color. I uh, think it's an instant party that's Party it. drink, That's yeah. It. Exactly. And I would, especially in summer, I'm assuming, or all no, year round? All, all year, year round, round. All year round. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and our rosé is a blend of, um, it's a blended rosé, uh, as opposed to the bleeding, bleeding rosé. So it's a blend of the same uh, grapes and percentage as uh, the Cuvenina, and then they also incorporate in that some uh, still uh, Pinot Noir wine. Oh, they all sound That's wonderful. Cool. I think everyone is going to go out and have some bub- bubbly tonight. Thank you. <laughs> so I wanted to to talk a little about your 
your hospitality consulting company, Bouquet Ventures. So how did, when did you start that and what services do you provide? I started that um, almost a year and a half after uh, closing Caravelle. Um, the word bouquet, unlike what people think automatically, no, I'm not in the flower business. It's the bouquet, the wine aroma huh. is called bouquet. Mm-hmm. So originally that was kind of derived from that. And then the hospitality, because it's uh, the, the world that um, we were basking in, Andre and I. Uh, it's very different kinds of projects, and I, I don't usually work on many projects, uh, especially simultaneously, because it's me and moi and myself. So Yeah, the, the, I can't, another last, last week my guest was a one-woman show. You, we're all one-woman shows here. And no, that's, I think, you, you know... You have a lot to do just with the champagne. So. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. And I mean, of course, I have a great support system. Andre is an amazing um, advisor. I call him my conciliere. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has great sense uh, of things. And sometimes you need somebody else to bounce ideas back mm-hmm. with. Uh, and then uh, our sons were amazingly supportive and knowledgeable, yes. too. I actually turn to them very frequently for advice, which I love that exchange goes both ways yes i love that you guys are all close and so supportive of each other it's wonderful it is it is we're very fortunate yeah so so speaking of my guest from last week i had on liza de guia she's um a food curated which and she's a the found which she's the founder and she's also a chief storyteller is her title she does outstanding videos so i asked her to ask you a question so her question was What's your favorite Michelin star restaurant that you've ever dined at anywhere in the world? Uh, It's hard to pick just one. Um, I'll go for it. I'll go go for one and then give you whatever. (laughs) I know. I know what you mean. I can't ever pick a favorite. So I am a huge uh, Joël Robuchon fan. I'm actually mm-hmm. almost like a groupie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good good place to be a groupie at. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, the, his restaurant in Vegas, the, the uh, in the mansion, mm-hmm. Joël Robuchon uh, in the mansion, well, to me, where I had one of the most mind-blowing meals. And not always necessarily complicated dishes. That's what sometimes um, shocks me in a great way is when it's not so complicated, but it's it's amazing. So that's one. Um, then I'm a huge fan of Jean-Georges also here. Yes. Yeah, big, big fan. Um, he's got that focus on flavors and on... Because um, the construction of his dishes is so beautiful because it's striking without being also intricate or complicated. Um, I also uh, had a beautiful, beautiful experience at the Louis XV uh, Alain Ducasse's restaurant in Monaco. Ah. That was, it's everything in addition to the, the, the cuisine. It's obviously the ingredients from the south of France, the, the decor, the experience, the, the hospitality that is very, very sophisticated without being stuffy. I just was blown away with that. That's a very good list. Yeah, it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I've, I've, um, well, I've been to one out of three, but I've been to Joe Rubichon when he was in New York, right. so which unfortunately he's not here anymore. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, she thought of this question because we know we know you dine out well. 
I mean, we all do in this industry do, but you maybe a little a little more so. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. host of The Speakeasy. This summer, Heritage Radio Network is turning five years old. Since our launch in 2009, we've continued to bring you food and culture content like no one else. And we need, absolutely need your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a passionate, grassroots, action-oriented, nonprofit organization. That means we depend on the support from listeners like you to keep us alive. If you love what you hear on Heritage Radio Network, visit our website and become a member today. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. We're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Rita Jamais, and it is time for my speed round game. So what this is, Rita, is I'm going to name two things and you just pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. <laughs> yeah. I would be lying Obvi- if I <laughs> Obviously, no. <laughs> this is another a little bit obvious one. How about wine, beer, or cocktail, or bubbly? Bubbly. Yeah. I threw that in there for you, especially. Thank you. You're welcome. Tasting menu or a la carte? Uh, actually, a la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Owning a restaurant or owning a champagne? Or both? (laughs) Both, but with a big preference to owning the champagne. Aha. (laughs) How about working in-house or working out-of-house as a consultant? Um, actually, I do a combination of both. You mean in-house? When you were... Um, with when, the restaurant? As, a, as someone, a part of the team of a restaurant in-house versus... Right. Yeah. Um, I guess it's different. It's not a, a differentiating criteria for me. Okay. I like both. We'll give it a tie. <laughs> okay, a couple more. Kale Caesar, District Cobb, or Guacamole, guacamole Greens? Guacamole Greens. Aha. You like that one? I do. And I for, know those names from somewhere. For, for those who don't, her son's restaurant, Sweetgreen, those are a few of his signature salads. And um, I love Sweetgreen. So, oh, yeah, Thank it's you. great. Okay, cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan only because I don't know Brooklyn as well as Manhattan. Got it. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so that was the game. And now let's let's talk some industry news. So a couple, this article just, uh, I, I was impressed by it. So I, I said, let's talk about it. Um, in SF Gate, it was called Michael Mina, A Chef in Control by Paolo Lucchesi. 
And it was about Michael Mina and this empire he's he's built. And he now operates 20 restaurants, and most of them are upscale. He employs 1,600 people. And what was interesting with this article was he was saying he ha- what I found interesting was he has a 16-person team that he sends to open all his restaurants. He also uses a, a database um, for, called Recipe Exchange where he has a very systematic approach with how new recipes um, come up on at his restaurants when they're submitted to him. Chefs have to uh, give the recipe a photo, a video, do a cost analysis. Like it was... I mean, he's. It was saying how he's opened four restaurants, I think, in the past ten months. So he's moving quickly, but he has the system down that it seems so impress- impressive yeah, to me. I, I actually read this article and I was blown away uh, because he managed to turn this extremely challenging um, task into a science mm-hmm. as much as possible, while keeping the high quality and the human element in it. So he's using the best of technology. And a system, as you say. And there's really no other way to do it. Otherwise, it's haphazard. And how else can you guarantee the standard that you stand for and the quality, uniformity of quality when you open 20 restaurants? It's every time is your name on the line as uh, Michael yeah. Mina, mm-hmm. you know. So um, it's very impressive. And, uh, and I'm sure he built that team early on, that corporate kind of team. Yeah, of. I think there was something yeah. in the article saying that he had... Um, this team, even when he was just a small, yep. smaller restaurant group, I remember I dined. I've been to one of his restaurants in the. I don't know if it was the original, but it, in Vegas, Michael Mina. Right. I mean, probably like six or seven years ago, it was it was outstanding. At the Bellagio. At the Bellagio, Beautiful. yes. Beautiful. And uh, yeah, no, I think you know he's 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 got it down, and I Definitely. think it's. Um, Definitely. I, I don't, I think if you're doing, even if you're just opening one restaurant and you don't ask all the right questions and get the system, you're, you're yeah. not going to succeed. And so I think yeah. it's a good role model for I other people. So, so many, there's so many elements that uh, come into play. So you, obviously it's going to fall through the cracks if you don't have a system as much as possible without dehumanizing the whole thing because you don't want to be robotic right. either. No. Or like a cookie cutter either. But he's managing to do this. And actually, I should tell you that uh, um, Nicolas and his partners at Sweetgreen, they built a corporate structure after the third unit very early on. They're now at 27. And yes. this is how they could grow. They also have a team, a training team for opening. They also go and they, they help hire the people. They train and they stay after opening. It's a bit the same. same so, but you have to do it, I think, if you want to maintain the quality. Yeah, and, and no, Sweetgreen, that operation and the whole expansion is also equally as impressive. I didn't realize there were that many. Yeah. I mean, quickly. In uh, seven years. Yeah, no, it's 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 awesome. So. Thank you. Okay, so that was one article. Another article, so Bon Appetit this week came out with their best new restaurants in mm-hmm. America of 2014, and that is... Uh, Andrew Knowlton, who comprises the list. And, you know, they wrote, I was on the copy, they said it's our most eclectic and unexpected list Mm -hmm. to date. And to be honest, I look, I mean, at the top 10, 
I did know Estella was number three and Tosca Cafe was number four, but I, I didn't know the number one, which is Rose's Luxury in Washington, D.C. Now I know of it. That's right. <laughs> have you? Well, you've probably been in D.C. I have been in D.C., but I know that uh, Patrick and Nicola, my sons who live in D.C., mm-hmm. they know that place and they love it, but I have not been myself. Yeah. So, But I'm thrilled that Estella made it in Tosca also. Yeah. Estella, no. I, I love Estella. Yeah, Ignacio Matos great. is just a brilliant guy. But that list was quite striking. In there, I do not think there's any um, high-end, I'm going to say, mm-hmm. place, right? Well, Unless there's some that I don't know. I mean, of the list of 10 or of the mm-hmm. list of... Because the there was no. a 50 yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And that, the list of 10. I didn't, I mean... There's, isn't there a food truck even in there? Or was that in the list of 50? You There's know, I don't market. know. I had I had There's number two was High Street on Market in Philly, and number five was Westward in Seattle, which I hadn't heard of these. I mean, this would amaze. You know, what amazes me about this is, you know, the, how how they seek out these restaurants yes. and find them. And I'm excited because next week I'm having Kate Crater on the show, and I feel her job is similar to Andrew's in a sense because they seek out as restaurant editors. They find these restaurants that we don't know about until they write about them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's it's quite uh, striking the the diversity of of these uh, of this list, and on the ten list, the ten hot restaurant list, everything is casual, yeah. which is another indication of how the industry is changing people's um, perception, know, perception, mm-hmm. and and uh, the yearnings when you go out. You know, they don't really want to go to a very formal place. However. Fine dining is here, and it's here to to stay, definitely. Well, I wonder if it will, you know, everything's cyclical. I wonder, let's say, five, ten years from now, if if it changes and it goes back to tablecloths and, you know, more... More formal. I think I think uh, high end dining is definitely here. It just is evolving with the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, look at look at um, Alinea, for instance. A huge success. There's a huge waiting list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ko Momofuku Ko, tiny place, but long, hard to get in because it's limited number of places. Uh, Sushi Nakazawa, that I love too. They were uh, on the list. They were on the, on the, the fifty. Absolutely. And yeah, and that's not and and that's. That's more formal. I mean, it was. It is. It is. It's still a sushi bar, but it's a, a very, very um, it's sophisticated. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah amazing. I went, and oh. um, it was. It was. I was lucky that I went to get a reservation. I think before they got their review in the New York Times. Oh yes, <laughs> and they got four stars. So yeah. it, I think the demand went even absolutely higher up after that. Absolutely. Um, and the other one on this list was. Um, in the 50 was uh, Uncle Boone's, yes. which is a casual Thai restaurant. I've, I, I think the food's amazing. There. Delicious. I, I have been. Yeah. yeah. But these are um, a lot of times in these uh, restaurants, um, the chefs or the, the front of the house people have a background of, of fine dining. And they kind of, you can very imperceptibly feel that in the experience. Yeah. And I think that's what distinguishes a lot of time. But the flavors at Uncle Boone's are amazing. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and the other article I wanted to mention was in the New York Times, how Shake Shack is weighing um, an IPO. And I've talked about Shake Shack on on, on the show. I think I talk about it a lot. Um, But, you know, and we talked about, you know, whether it makes sense to do and go 
public. Um, but it said there was news they were interviewing banks. And so we'll see. I mean, they're up to almost 50 locations. Right. Um, so they, uh, they Definitely, they have the magic formula in there. Definitely. Yeah, another one, I mean, Danny systematic. Danny and team, mm-hmm. Danny, Randy, they're, they're brilliant people. And they have their finger on the pulse. And, I mean, hamburger is not a new thing by any means. By no, any but- stretch of magic. It is not new. But to, that's, to me, it's a, even a bigger challenge to make it wh- what it is now. Start considering that there's, it is a hamburger is a hamburger. But of course, you make different layers of, of distinction with the meat, the, the bread, the fries, the, et cetera, the whole experience. And um, the hats off. Right? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Okay, great. So we're going to take one more break here. And we're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is on the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience this week. So this week I I checked out the new Nomad Bar at the Nomad Hotel, which, uh, you know, they expanded, I think, due to to their popularity and success. And it's it's a great spot. So there's a new entrance. It's on West 28th Street near Broadway, and this is the same team. You have Chef Daniel Hum, restaurateur Will Godera, bar director Leo Robitschek, and um, it's really a beautiful space. They have, and it's two floors. They have um, about a 12-seat bar downstairs, and upstairs, it's like a balcony overlooking the bar and much more seating. And so I went, I, I thought... I was there early enough to get a seat at the bar, but it was already crowded at like 6.30. So um, I put my name in. I waited in the lounge area, and I had their La Pina soft cocktail with jalapeno-infused agave, pineapple, and lime. And it was great because it had this little kick from the jalapeno. Um, They then, my table was ready. They transferred it, and I went upstairs, and I had two of their lighter dishes. I had the snow pea salad with pancetta, pecorino, and mint. And I had the tuna tartare with pine nuts, apple, and mint. And they were excellent. They both went very well together. Service was great. Um, I had a nice time. I would definitely go back. I think it's a place, you know, for drinks, to meet with friends, to go solo, or, um, you know, or, or and to have some food, too. So this is the nomadhotel.com, if anyone wants to check out. And have you been there yet, Rita? I have. I have a couple of times. I loved it. Yeah. I think they're brilliant. They are brilliant. Another so good. brilliant restaurant group. Definitely. Made so. nice. <laughs> I mean, they, it means it. <laughs> they do. They make nice. So, okay, great. So we're near the end of the show. Mm-hmm. So it's time for the final question. So as I mentioned, I'm having on Kate Crater next week. She's the restaurant editor of Food & Wine magazine. I know you know Kate. I not only know <laughs> Kate, I love Kate and appreciate her. She's awesome. So... Well, what would you like to ask her? I wanted to ask her a two-pronged question. How does she go about picking where to go, what restaurants to go visit in order to, you know, do mm-hmm. the rounds and make the selection? Second of all, within this his this itinerary, is does it matter if the restaurant is new or already in existence for a while? 
new verses already there. Mm -hmm. So those yeah. are my two questions. Good questions. I'm excited to talk to her, yeah. get, find out her answers. I'll be tuning in. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank This you for having me. It was wonderful. Really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you came out, and I enjoyed it, too. Thank you. So I've been speaking with Rita Jamey of La Caravelle Champagne, of Bouquet Ventures Hospitality Consulting, and formerly of La Caravelle Restaurant. Her website is lacaravelle.com, and her Twitter handle is caravellechamp. My Twitter is at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com. If you miss any of our live broadcasts, you can find it at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're also on Stitcher and iTunes. So thanks to everyone out there listening. Thanks to my engineer, Jack, and thanks to Rita. Thank you. And um, I, hope, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. And uh, I'll be back next Wednesday, 4 o'clock, for another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.